Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hello, lab mates, and welcome back to The Change Lab. It's Monday, and I hope you all had a fabulous weekend. I'm sorry my voice has a nasal ring to it. I was not one of Sheldon Cohen's test subjects, but I do have a little bit of a cold. Today, we're coaching in the lab. I'm excited. It hasn't happened in a while. Do you have a dream of starting a new career at 50? Well, if you're nodding your head, this episode is for you. One of your fellow lab mates, Anne, gets coached on the dread she's facing as she reinvents this next chapter in her life and applies to law school at 49. What a badass. As you listen to the coaching session, I want you to pay particular attention to her big fears. How does applying to law school put her sense of identity, her sense of certainty, and her sense of control at risk? Listen to her apprehension with an open heart and relate them to the anxieties that you feel as you go after your goals and dreams and honor how courageously she has put herself in the arena to work through her fears head on. It's only in facing what seems impossible that we truly come alive. So here's to living fully and becoming a law student at 50. Elle Woods would be oh so proud. All right, let's jump right into my coaching session with Anne. So explain for everyone or just describe what's the goal. So as we're going after a goal, we can either be, you know, running from a bear, trying to sort of mitigate some disapproval or an identity we don't like, or perhaps someone's not happy with the way that we're showing up in life or whatever, or we aren't happy with ourselves and we can be running from a bear or we can go after a goal and we're running to a lover or running to something that seems exciting that may open doors for us. There's a possibility on the other side that seems enticing and compelling to us. So describe the lover. What are you running toward that seems so exciting to you as the goal that you're going after? I think it's uh, what am I going to do for the next 20 years of my life with my career? And that I know I have a feeling I want to give back in a meaningful way um, or continue to work in a meaningful way that I'm excited about. And I really chosen as an adult rather than, you know, a kid, you know, I have the ability to do it and afford it and all of those things now. So, you know, that's some of like the, the big kind of broad without specifics, I'm applying to go back to law school to do public interest law. You know, I'm sort of fired up still about, you know, that kind of work and, and helping and really developing a new skill set to attack, you know, the issues that are important to me and really, you know, excited about having that kind of some expertise that I can lend and and that I can use it in a way where I can have a real tangible difference if I'm just, you know, directly serving clients or if I'm working on public policy or supporting agencies in some way. So I, you know, I feel like it opens up a lot of opportunities and doors. Yeah. So, you know, excited about like, learning again and, and kind of the shift, you know, in what I can do. That's awesome. And what gets in the way? So what's the resistance that feels challenging or the obstacle? 
some people are like, are you crazy? The law is horrible. It's boring. It doesn't do it. It's not going to help you do any of the things you want to do. And then mm-hmm. other people are like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. I wish I could do that too. And so it's not that I, I don't feel like I'm listening to the other, the naysayers, but you know, I've been thinking a lot and for a long time about how I wanted to shift my career, but this felt a little impulsive and it was like an aha moment type of thing. And mm-hmm. I've talked and I've studied and I sort of have a, like a real gut feeling about it. And I've talked to people in those spaces and, you know, to some degree, like not super in depth, but I've gone in and sat in on classes to see, is this going to be boring to me? I've taken the LSAT, which was boring and hard, but, you know, I could do it. So some of it is like, I'm a little afraid of like, I'm going to get there and I'm going to hate it. Okay. And I've spent time and delayed myself in that process. You know, I think that's a little scary. I love this, working on this, because it's so relatable. I just coached someone on this yesterday, which is the the angst of, if I start and I hate it, then I've wasted time. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you would have wasted time. I spent a good part of my fall um, not working or not looking for other paths of work to do and, you know, focusing on studying and applying for this until law school will start, which would be six or eight months I'm planning on trying to volunteer in the legal system and do, you know, work in that vein, which might be productive, but it's like, I'm not out there sort of like really crafting, okay, what's next? So that would be like a little bit like, was that stupid? Was it foolish? I think there's probably a little ego of people being, you know, thinking like, oh my God, you just, my husband or, you know, relatives or others like, oh, you just didn't do anything for a year and here you, here you are. Yeah. Okay. so. The thing that you're most concerned about would be your own judgment. The dread is your own judgment of yourself or someone else's judgment of you. But are you really concerned about their judgment of you? No, I'm not that concerned. I think I can get over people's judgment. It's more of just like, you know, I would feel just a little foolish. I think it's my own judgment, my own like, oh, like that was, that was stupid. Why'd you do that? Why didn't you know more and figure mm-hmm. out more before you, you know, really leaped into it or um, that kind of thing? Okay. So the foolishness would be, I was too impetuous in this decision and that was not wise. Yeah. We'd feel immature. We'd feel like a number of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, right. This was just really interesting. Of course, the way that you frame it in your head, the thing that you're mitigating, the identity that you're most afraid of is this, what irresponsible, immature, childish, impulsive, unthoughtful, and that that's no thanks. What's the identity that you're most afraid of? Hmm. I think it's in some ways not being serious, not following through mm-hmm. on what you were supposed to do or what you, you know, what you had hoped to do. Yeah, just not kind of sticking through the hard stuff of, you know, the muck and yes parts of law school are going to be really super boring and parts of being a lawyer are going to be really, you know, not fun and frustrating and other things. And, you know, kind of being naive and and being scared off by, by that in a way, I think is what, that's the identity. I don't want to be like a dilettante. Right. Okay. That's critical phrase that you just used, right? I don't want to be a dilettante. So if I apply to law school, which I have and go, and then once I get there, I don't enjoy it. And I realize this isn't for me. Yeah. 
because of the way that you have this framed in your mind that if I decide I don't like it once I'm there and this isn't actually for me, I can't leave because then what would be at risk? This identity that I might be perceived as a dilettante. I may perceive myself as a dilettante and that is so off-putting to you, right? That's a true dread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so much so I probably would just stick through it and hate it. <laughs> oh, I believe it. But can you see how that also makes going to law school more risky for yeah. you? Yeah. There's more at stake. It's not just, let's give this a try. I'm 49. I'm changing my career. This is a cool opportunity. And I have this intuition that this is something that's meant for me, yeah. but I'm not sure. You don't have that sort of open perspective about it because you know deep down that if you commit to going and you get there and then you decide, oh gosh, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be, you're never going to let yourself walk away. So you're now committed for three years doing something, chewing glass for three years. (laughs) Or longer. (laughs) (laughs) Or longer. Right. Yeah. Right. So you can see how that creates such a psychological barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It starts to make sense when you think, oh, any resistance behavior I may be engaging in, any avoidance behavior I may be engaging in, oh, all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's been other things in my career where I've been doing something or I'm frustrated or I don't like the project or partnerships or the other things where I'm sort of have to like get through it, but hate, you know, feeling kind of yucky about it, not liking it, you know, not able to control or change it. Do you think that's an issue of like, what's the mindset when I'm in it and in the yuck Mm -hmm. to you know, shift it so it's not yuck. And there's those kind of occasions where I've stayed in it for a long time or I just quit. I'm out, you know, I'm done. I like blow up and I'm out. Where does this narrative of the potentiality that you would quit, be a dilettante, how else did you describe it? Irresponsible? Yeah, or immature. More of just like at this age, choosing to go back to law school. I I don't know. I mean, I kind of have jumped around in my interest a little bit towards the latter part of my career as I was trying to explore like where am I going to be happy and what I want to do, or I've had family issues or responsibilities where I've not stuck with a full-time gig or I've stepped in and out of things. So I think there's a little bit, and you know, and I can sort of say to myself, there's lots of reasons for why those things happened and that it doesn't have anything to do with being a dilettante, but it it does have a little bit of like not being persistent or sticking to things. What's the biography of this belief system that you have had to, in some way, kind of fend off the potential that you would be considered someone who doesn't stick with something and persevere through things? Yeah. I don't feel like it's an external thing. I think there was a little bit of maybe thoughts of husband had a good salary. I didn't have to really, I didn't have to work full time through much of Mm -hmm. my career, not early parts, but for like 15 years and I could kind of come and go. And so I think, you know, there was a little of that narrative of, oh, she, you know, she doesn't really need to work or she doesn't really need this job as much as somebody else does. And I think in sometimes in my own mind, in, in some of those things that were yuck, I would, say to myself too, I don't really need to put up with this. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Why why am I still here in this thing? And, you know, in some ways I've felt like that's been a real detriment or not quite the right word, but had I had to stick with things like most people do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
and I would have come out on the other side and been fine. I would have gotten through that yuck, but I've, I've had that option of being in and out. I regret that. And I regret, you know, sort of like looking at it that way. Okay. Right. Okay. So this is really, really helpful to see this pattern. So, and again, for everyone listening, what I want you guys to pay attention to is that it seems like this is just about going to law school, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not just about going to law school. It's about what going to law school means about who she is as a human being and that there's something here that's very much at risk. So there's something to prove, but there's also the potential that she could reaffirm that belief about herself and that would feel devastating. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. So what's the big risk here? Is it like, oh my gosh, I am setting myself up to learn something about myself that I really don't want to see or I don't want to be there and that feels very scary? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I think when you said like, I I have something to prove, like I do feel like I have something to prove to myself and don't always care about, you know, I do care about others, but I, but it's more of proving to myself, like I can do hard things and I can Mm -hmm. craft what I, you know, want to do. And that would be a little scary if I'm unable to see that through just in, you know, what I believe about myself. That's kind of really it. And I don't feel like I've not been thoughtful about what, I mean, there was a little bit of this being a gut, but like I have been really trying to figure out like, where can I settle in and really do the work? And where am I going to be excited about that? Because I felt like that's what I need in order to stick with things. So yeah, I think with the law school piece of it is like, yeah, I'm afraid that I'm going to get there and have a lot of these other excuses as to why I don't like it and why I can give it up or why it's not right for me. But I'm also hopeful. I'm thinking like, even at this time when my kids are mostly grown, I have a lot of other maturity that I'm bringing to and self-reflection that I'm bringing to, to the work now that like, it'll be different. Right. So it really has to do with, and again, you can really see this in, it's all about the way you're framing it. Law school is just law school and you could go and enjoy it, tolerate it, hate it, and you can make whatever choice you want to make. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. It could be one exploration of something and you don't love it and you move on and you do something else. Yeah. And we can talk about this narrative of I've wasted time. Wasting time, there's always a counterfactual story that we're telling ourselves that we would have been doing something incredibly productive and awesome instead of, it's total fantasy. So yeah. for all of you guys that are playing this game, <laughs> I wasted time. I'm wasting time. Spend some time actually writing out, what is this story I have in my head of all the other incredible things I would have been doing instead, right? Like this fall, I would have wasted my time. Like, Pray tell, what would you have been doing instead that would have been not wasting your time? Yeah. Like, I just think this is how you spent your time exploring this avenue as opposed to exploring some other avenue. Yeah. Right. Wasted, wasting time is a total construct. About a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm really into data science. And I was like taking calculus again and do, <laughs> but that was a waste of, it was, it wasn't a waste of time. It was actually fun until it wasn't. <laughs> but again, do you see when you frame it as a waste of time, how does that actually make you feel? I mean, it makes me feel foolish, I think. Yeah. I think that's really it. Feeling like, oh, you didn't sort of really explore this or think through this fully before you just, you know, tried it out or, or spent your time doing this. 
So you frame this as this is a waste of time because there's so many ways that you could see this, right? So many ways. You could be having a conversation with someone and saying, oh, I was doing this and I took calculus classes exploring data science. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, how cool. What a curious, interesting person. <laughs> okay. okay. You know, like how brave, how really, like that's so, for me, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, that's such a brave thing to do just to dive in and say, I'm going to take some calculus classes and explore this. Yeah. Right? cool. That's not how you're framing it. So you're thinking, oh, this is a waste of time. And from what I'm hearing, it's sort of the the emotion. As you said, it makes me feel foolish. I'm like, what is the emotion there? Embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And then when you're embarrassed, what do you do? What is the action that comes out of that emotion when you're feeling embarrassed? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it's like self-flagellation of like just really criticism and just figure it out. <laughs> figure out what you want to do. Right. Criticism. And then I would imagine it creates more constraint with what you do going forward, because then you sort of create more evidence that you have something to prove, right? That you've got to actually got a bigger hill to climb in some way, right? So you're framing it in this way. And so of course, now going to law school, here we are again, and this is what you see looming up in the future. You're seeing, okay, what's at risk for me here is the potential that I might feel embarrassed and foolish because I didn't fully think this through. I didn't use reason to the extent I should have. I didn't do my homework in the way I should have, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Okay. And this is a risk to your sense of self. Yeah. The thing that you're most afraid of with law school is your own criticism of yourself, is beating yourself up. Like the biggest fear of law school is that I'm going to tell myself I'm a dilettante. (laughs) When you put it that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but it feels so real and so intense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's on that waste of time. Like just to go back to the data science thing, you know, I call people I know that are doing this kind of work. I start to, you know, spend time looking into it. The amount of time you spend, it wasn't like I, I was pursuing this full time of really figuring it out, but it would be, I'm doing, you know, f- four hours of study a day and you know, that kind of thing. So like, you know, it's a, it's a small period of time, maybe, you know, four to six months of dedicating myself to exploring this. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what, you know, I should say I'm exploring this as opposed to this is what I'm doing now. It's one of those situations having, you know, moved in a new place and transitioning my career. I, you know, I've spent like a year and a half, two years of exploring, probably like more like two years or so of this exploration and not doing um, or not committing. But the irony here is that what actually gets in the way of you committing is that you're going to criticize yourself for not having commitment. Yeah. Right. So the pressure you're putting on yourself to have to be committed is, is actually what is holding you back from committing to it. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to be such a jerk to myself. I'm not sure I want to do this. So you, you, you're you holding back as opposed to being like, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to open-heartedly have this experience. And you could make a commitment to yourself. Like, I'm going to hang in there one year, no matter what. So even if it's chewing glass and it sucks and I hate it, it's the worst thing I've ever done. That will be a valuable learning experience for me. And I'll stick it out for one year because yeah. I can do anything for one year. Yeah. And then I'll reevaluate. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really it because I what happens there in that interim of the, okay, I'm nervous, I'm worried, I'm not going to commit, I'm going to fail at this, I'm going to whatever. 
is I come up with a million excuses as to why that's a bad idea or why I can't do it. You know, it's like this self-sabotage and trying to find a way out. Right. But what are you actually trying to find a way out of? The commitment. <laughs> no, I have, you have no problem with commitment. You have no problem committing to things. Yeah. It's that criticism, right? Of yes. This. Yeah. Yes. You're not afraid of the commitment. You're afraid of what you will do to yourself if you change your mind. But by the way, change your mind based on data. Right now, you're making a decision based on somewhat assumptions, which is, by the way, true for everyone. I mean, think about every decision we're making in our life. We're making it on some kind of an assumption. We go to, what college are you going to? We are largely basing it on what we assume that experience is going to be like. Yeah. Right? Or which one we think may be the best fit or has the best department for the future career we'd like to have. But that's all based on some assumption. I mean, we all like to couch it in, oh, right, I did my homework and my research and this and that and whatever. But at the end of the day, we're just making an assumption. Yeah. Okay, and then we get in an experience and we're in it. And we're now, we're collecting data. We have a data set. Yeah. We're playing a different game. Like, oh, this is what it's actually like. You know, I think I've tried to have a sense again of of what it's going to be like, but there's only, I mean, you know, I don't know until I'm in it. The other kind of caveats that I have around that are trying to hedge to some degree around, well, what school do I want to go to? I don't want to go to the really, really the elite school, or maybe I won't even get in, but I don't want to go because it's going to be so overwhelming because everybody's going to be a superstar. And you know, I could have done that in my 20s. I don't know if I can do it now or do I want to versus mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the school that's more manageable because I need that, you know, hedging in, in those ways of trying to figure out like how that's all going to be. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. Right. But the beautiful thing is that you get to self-author this experience, which is I don't want to actually apply to the elite law schools because I don't want to be in that high pressured environment. And I've learned that at 49, I get to actually own my values, own my, that this is what my life is about. And that I don't need to prove that to anybody that I can hack it at a top law school. Isn't that a nice relief that you're not having to play that game? I felt like it was like, this is a mature sort of a decision and way of thinking about it, but I still have a little bit of that, wait, are you underselling yourself? Are you, (laughs) you know, but so like those kind of voices are constant, like are sort of out there and being like, God, if you just studied a little bit more for the LSAT, you could have had the score to, you know, like that, that has been all the kind of things that have been playing around and where I'm, I'm trying to say, no, that this one school is going to fit my lifestyle and the way I want to like function so much better. From a developmental perspective, what you're working on here is really truly owning your own self-authored experience of life. The growth work as an adult is to become more self-authored, to step into our own self-authorship, which means you define who you are. You define whether or not you are a dilettante. You get to decide that. You get to decide whether you've made a mature decision. I mean, who gets to be the arbiter of whether or not you've made a mature decision? You do, ultimately. But what you're afraid of is this, like there's a judge and jury out there who's making some evaluation of who you are and the quality of the choice that you made, the quality of the decision that you, you know, how well did she assess the various variables and make this decision that there's some 
external judge and jury that's going to make this assessment of you. And that's really what this is about. Can we look at that objectively? Like, is that really the way the world works? So crazy. It's not. (laughs) It's like, so it's like just totally made up in my head. You and everybody else. (laughs) I I thought I was doing really good. I was like, I don't have an ego anymore. (laughs) Shit. But this is why I love what you're doing. Because if you don't actually go out and take these risks, you don't get to work on this stuff. You get to pretend like it's not a problem. You get to sit back and go, oh, I don't care what other people think about me. And then you're like, actually, I totally do. And then great, because now you've got an arena to work this out, a framework to evolve in this way. And on the other side of this evolution is a lot of freedom. Yeah. A lot. It may mean that you actually get to decide what you want to do on the other side of this with so much more freedom, with so much less pressure. The only criteria for the decision may be how fulfilling and meaningful and exciting is this for me? And other than that, I don't care. I don't care if the position is not particularly elevated and it's not prestigious. Like that doesn't matter to me. Or this is not a brand name that people would recognize. Like who cares? You know, you doesn't. So you actually would have all this freedom on the other side of it to pursue really what you want to do at a way more authentic, deeper level. Yeah. That's the goal. (laughs) And the fire that you're walking through is, can I go to law school just evaluating my own experience without having all of these layers of meaning. Short of just saying, I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm going to keep, again, my mode is just to grind, right? Just to get through those kind of things. And so how, you know, I have to, I guess it's just really changing that, that narrative of this is exploring, giving myself permission when really sizing up that I don't like it. This was a bad decision and know that it's that and not that it's me running away just because it's yucky. (laughs) How do you know it's a bad decision? How can you evaluate that? I don't know. I mean, I think if I just get there and really feel like, you know, I'm not going to be able to do what I think I want to, I think I've assessed this. I think I know there are things I want to do with the law that are going to help me, but that I, maybe I'm like, I just, you know, what people tell you about it is like, oh, it's so boring. It's so mundane. All of the way that people talk about law school and practicing the law is like, it's horrible where I'm like, right now I'm in that phase. I'm like, oh, it's exciting. Like, this is exciting. Those lawyers that I see and that I aspire to be like, are exciting to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I would assess it if I get in there and I'm like, this is not going to be what I want to do. I mean, I, I know I can get through the work. It's not that, I, you know, even though it's going to be hard, I know I can get through all the schoolwork, <laughs> but I just wonder if when I'm in practice or if I'm in clinic, whether that's going to be sort of the exciting, and I know parts of it won't be, but like whether I'm just sort of in it and being like, oh, this is not what I want to be doing. Right. But that's like saying halfway through a workout, like this was a terrible decision to be here because I hate it and I have Tourette's and I want to not be here. And I'm looking at the clock like, seriously, we're only 40 minutes through this torturous hour. Is that a bad decision? Is it a bad decision to go? Yeah, you're right. 
I'm really asking this as a serious question. You're like, how do you actually decide that it's a bad decision? Even if you go and you, let's just say worst case scenario, you go and you're like, man, I hate this. I hate everything about it. I really don't want to do this. How is this a bad decision? How are you deciding that it's a bad decision? Like what does, let's define bad. Yeah, well, I think it's back to that. I wasted time, I wasted money and it's not what I was supposed to do. Okay. How did you waste time and waste money? How else would you have known it wasn't what you were supposed to do? Yeah, I guess it's just the, like, I've assessed this better. I know, you know, yeah. So essentially it is, I didn't have this data making the decision before, but if I'd had this data, I wouldn't have made this decision, but you didn't have that data and you would never have had that data. So how is it a bad decision? I mean, I think this is really important because this has you by the neck. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I guess you can't unless you do it. I mean, this was sort of the like diving in where I was, I said, oh, this is, you know, a gut instinct. I'm I'm just going to do it. But back to the feeling like, well, that's not the way people make decisions. People don't make decisions. (laughs) That's like, what's going on? People don't like to make decisions precisely because of this. So much of people being stuck is because they're just terrified to make an actual decision. I mean, the decision they're making is indecision, but they're kicking the can down the road because of this. Because in their mind, the only way to make a good decision is to have all the data, which is impossible. They're never going to have it. It's like, I want to know in advance that I'm going to be awesome at all these things and this is going to be easy. It's like, how, sorry, that's not the way the world works. Yeah, so true. Yeah, it's a good point. You just don't know. But what you're saying is the only way that I'm not going to beat myself up for this being a bad decision, if it's like, if I go and it's not as awesome and exciting and as amazing as I anticipate it to be, is I would have needed to have all this information right now and you're never going to have it any decision that you ever make, the risk in that decision is like, guess what? You don't have all the info and no one does. We're like, let's have children. (laughs) How much information does anyone who hasn't had a child yet have? None. (laughs) They think they do. They have none. None. So true. But you believe that you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Like I'm just sitting here thinking about like all of the, you know, choosing to get pregnant or getting pregnant or, you know, is impulsive. You know, or you, you know, oh, there's the right time and we planned it. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I, like I think back to when we chose to start, but yeah. And I'm like background in early childhood education and did a lot of work with kids and, you know, knew what it was like. And it was hell. <laughs> and you still don't know. Yeah. Right. Same. I mean, I, I had a, a lot of intellectual knowledge and I had no understanding whatsoever. But it's just like that idea of like the leap of faith. Like, I feel like I needed like some catalyst, right? Like in law school is going to be that catalyst in a way. Right. But this is what I want to get at is that you took a leap of faith to become a mother, but that somehow is socially acceptable. So no matter what happened, hard or not, you believed you made the right decision. Yeah. Let me put it this way. You weren't questioning whether you made the right decision. That was not even in your mental framework. You're not perceiving in this way. It was like, that's not how you're evaluating it in any way, shape or form, right? But when it comes to taking a leap of faith and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to go to law school at 49. Let's do this. Baked into this decision, you have decided that there is a possibility and that possibility is called, I made a terrible decision. Yeah. And that's interesting. 
Because it could also just be a decision, neither good nor bad, just a decision and an experience. Yeah. I mean, I think there is, a, you know, the other fear I was talking about time. I was thinking now it's like, well, there's money and I'd feel irresponsible for having used that money that's for our retirement or for, for my kids or other ways and spent that money and come back and say, ah, that was, you know, that didn't work out. Right. But again, because you've decided in your mind, there's some other better way that you would have spent that money. But that's a fantasy. That's not real. You actually don't know that. How would you like to think about going to law school? Like, how do you want to feel about going to law school? Excited, energized, intellectually stimulated, that there's going to be a lot of new opportunities. I'm fine with kind of going into it one way and saying, oh, like you said, I I love this. I love this part of the law and I really want to pursue that. So I'm, I'm, you know, interested in being open to, you know, other opportunities and avenues. I'm excited about meeting like a group of people and students and professors and getting connected to maybe, you know, some level of a community of people that I wouldn't otherwise connect with. You know, and I think that's just kind of within the law school, getting around if I'm doing some clinical work, some like really interesting, passionate people. And yeah. If you could distill it down to, let's say, two emotions that you really want when you're thinking about going to law school, they're the two emotions that you're predominantly feeling. What would those emotions be? Is excitement an emotion? Yeah. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. Excited. I like when you use scare-sighted, uh, but excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, energized is excited, right? No, I like energized, excited. I love that. Okay, so then what would you need to think about law school to create that emotion for you? What thought about law school makes you feel energized and excited? No, no, I think it's like the new, like lots of new information, lots of new ways of thinking and seeing the world. When you're thinking, I'm going to have a new way of seeing the world, I'm a new perspective, that makes you feel excited. Yeah. Okay, give me another. What's another thing that you think about law school that makes you excited? I think it's like the having these tools for action, you know, for addressing these new skills to help and support people makes me excited. Okay, so I'm going to develop all these new skills and that makes you excited. Okay, what else? Yeah, I think that I have some agency over, you know, what direction I'm going to take and the opportunity to make these new choices makes me excited. Love it. Okay. You also have agency in how you think about law school. Yeah. You have agency and autonomy over what you attend to, whether you attend to like, oh my goodness, I might be setting myself up for total failure. (laughs) And like to just beat myself up mercilessly. Or you can attend to no matter what, no matter what, I'm going to learn so much. Because you know what you will learn by going to law school, what law school is like. I have no idea what law school is like. And you'll know because you went, even if you don't like it. Yeah. Interesting. That's a whole other experience of the world that I've never had. That's kind of cool. You'll learn new skills, no doubt about it. You're going to meet new people and open up your world. Yep, that's also very true. So you can attend to those thoughts about law school that make you feel actually energized and excited about it. 
And I mean, nerve-sided, right? Like, nerve-sided, that's it. When you that's said totally normal, right? If you don't feel nerve-sided in your life, you're not growing. You're not feeling much. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. let's feel alive by choice, you know? Let's choose vitality. And that little frisson of like, oh boy, what am I doing? Yeah. How's this going to go? I'm on my growth edge. I'm on the cusp of unknown. I don't know exactly what this is going to be like, but I do have confidence in my ability to figure it out. Yeah. And your thinking is what makes that real. Because the only fear, the real dread that you have here is that you're like, I'm going to prove that I don't persevere through hard things. And that's so scary to you that that's actually what's getting in the way of you putting all your energy into like... So true. Wow. Here I am. I may hate it, but you know what I promise you? I'm going to go all in. And I might go all in and decide I hate it. But if I'm telling you that, you'll know I gave it all my effort. Yeah. And that's totally within your control. But this is so instructive for so many people because this is ultimately what we gets in the way of our own growth and evolution. And by the way, going to law school, like you have no idea who you're going to meet. You have no idea what professors you're going to experience. You could go to one class that changes your life. Yeah. I read one book in my early 20s that changed my life. I read Marty Seligman's book. And then turns out he had a master's program that he just started. And I went on a completely different course that I had no, I had not anticipated this as my career in a way. Yeah. Not at all. Right. So we focus so much on the dread. We focus so much on, oh my gosh, I might prove that I don't persevere as opposed to like focusing on, I'm just stepping out into the great unknown. My life could pivot here. I could meet my dearest friend. I could, you know, explore a passion and it may lead to not that. It may lead to that. It may just give you a skill set that enables you to have a job that you really enjoy, that you feel confident in. It may give you another chapter of another career that actually is incredibly fulfilling to you. What I would love for you to think about, a little bit of homework for you. What about going to law school would be amazing for you without it having any transactional value? At mm-hmm. all. Like it doesn't confer any prestige. It's not valuable as a stepping stone to X. It's actually valuable in and of itself. Its own experience is a valuable experience, even if it leads to nothing. Even if you don't go out and then practice law, why is the experience of being in law school going to be great for you? And I could think of tons of reasons just off the top of my head. Yeah. It's so exciting. It is exciting. It'll keep me from just playing tennis every day. (laughs) 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 What I really want you to spend some time doing some reflection on, because we learn in reflection, we really do, to spend some time reflecting on this, your fear of your own self-criticism. And I want you to try to look at this, like make it an object, look at it a bit objectively. First of all, the fact that you've already taken your LSATs is so, I mean, I'm so impressed by that alone that you sat through a standardized test. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine that. Been a minute since I've had to do anything like that. I've not gotten better at taking standardized tests, even with a lot of effort. But you persevered through it. So there you go. But again, right, it's very selective evidence that you have here. You're like, I'm I'm not going to persevere. I'm like, well, you just took the LSATs. You had to persevere to take that, to study and to actually get through the test. But the way that you're looking at this what you're most afraid of is the way that you're going to criticize yourself if it doesn't work out Mm. 
perfectly. I don't know where this self-critic, I, I, I do have more therapy to do. <laughs> no, you know, and again, it's just recognizing like, oh, this is what the human brain does because the human mind wants, you know, you, your psychological immune system, it wants to protect you. So how is it going to protect you? It's like, oh, this seems very risky. I don't know. It's like, that makes sense. You have a really nice life. Everything's pretty easy going. Like, why would you do this? Why do you want to take this risk? Like, are you sure? Okay, this is very normal that this is what your mind is wired to do, protect you, right? Yeah. Okay, but think about how we raise our children. If your child was coming to you and was like, I really want to do this thing, but I'm really afraid that I'm not going to like it. And then I'm going to get criticized because I don't persevere and I quit. Like I want to try out for this team or whatever it is. I want to do a school play and I'm really afraid. And what if I don't like it? And then they do it and they're like, I actually really hated acting. It's not my thing. We're not like, "Mm, yeah, dilettante. So, you're so, what is wrong with you? You really don't persevere, yeah. right? No, we're encouraging them to discover who they are and what they're about. And we wouldn't want them to make it mean that. We would want it to be setting them up for the next thing. Yeah. My oldest is going off to college and I was an anthropology major in college. I mean, my parents, so was I. Were you? So oh was my I. God. I was. I, I have no idea why. Right. But I, we, I had a class and I was like, I love this. And I, and I actually, like, I loved, you know, all my anthropology studies there. I mean, I did, like kind of, you know, I figured out how to make it work for me and sort of what I did. But my son wants to be like a history major. And, you know, so many people are like, what? Like, why would, you know, what's he going to do with that? And, and I've always, you know, sort of thrown that you know, to the wind, like even for myself and for him, his dad was a classics major. I mean, he's worried about it. And I'm like, you'll figure it out. Like, you you know, you, you and even if you don't like history, you get there, like you'll figure it out. And so you're right. We, we don't, you know, we don't speak to ourselves the way that we speak to our children. Right. Because for him not to engage in something that he's actually interested because it may not have some transactional value, you know, some utilitarian value in the future. To me, I'm like, oh, that's so sad that History in and of itself doesn't transfer into some other skill set, but what does? Hard work, effort, writing, analyzing something, you know, all of the the skills that are required to be a a thinker and is what ultimately is something that, you know, of course he will use in the future. But isn't that also like you've earned the right at 49? If you at 49 aren't allowed and not have permission to do something without utilitarian transactional value, like, good Lord, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. And you get to model this for your kids, which is so cool. You get to model, like, I'm actually pursuing something I'm interested in. And here's what I would recommend is like, number one, really sitting down with your why is like, why without having any value, no utilitarian value whatsoever? Why do you want to go to law school? Because that's going to be the process. The experience of being there is not going to be valuable until it's over in that sense, right? Like, without the degree, why do you want to go to law school just for the experience of it? What will you learn there? How will it open your mind and your world? How will it be exhilarating and challenging and frustrating and grow you and evolve you? Write it all out. Why does that compel you? Because it does. Mm-hmm. And then looking at that and really understanding your whys. And then from a self-authored place, then the next step would really be exploring what are your values? And then what is the criteria at which you're like, These are the things that I'm writing down 
I will give myself permission to hang up my skates and leave law school yeah. for these reasons and only these reasons. And what are they? Right. So that you're not making an emotional decision. You're like, nope, I thought this through. I'm not going to be a masochist about this. I'm also not going to make a snap decision in the moment. Yeah. And it may be like, I have to give myself a specific period of time. I have to give myself based on these various reasons. And you can think those through. Yeah. So that you're like, no, no, I made a rational, totally rational decision that was based on actual criteria that I came up with that I decided upon before I went to mitigate knowing like, okay, my big obstacle here is actually what I'm going to make this mean about who I am. So let's prepare for that. But what I do want to just say to you, which is this is so normal. This is why people have a very hard time making decisions. It's why people have struggle Mm -hmm. with engaging in their own growth and change. It's why people don't like and get nervous about setting big goals. Yeah. It's not the challenge of it. It's what they're going to do to themselves if they don't succeed. They're terrified of how they're going to beat themselves up, criticize themselves and pigeonhole themselves in some identity that they don't want. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's my sort of back away on things or sort of the overwhelm, you know, it's like too overwhelming. I mean, and there are times I've been overwhelmed, but nothing that's like been a crisis. So it's like, but I often back out of things because I'm afraid of that. Right. So exactly right. So this is what I want you to focus first and foremost on is why, what are your whys? What are your compelling reasons? Why it energizes you? Why it's exciting? Why it will be a great experience for you regardless of the degree, regardless of its utilitarian value, why is this going to be an amazing experience? And the more whys that you can come up with, the better, right? The more robust your reasons for doing this, the more rock solid you are. Then someone says, why are you doing this? You're like, oh, let me tell you. Yeah. Right? You, you're owning your own narrative. It's your story. It's your life. I'm excited for you. Yeah. It's so inspiring too. Think about how many women have totally written themselves off. They're like, I, in my late forties, I can't, I mean, it's that ship has sailed and you're a walking, living, breathing example of that being not true. We need more of that in the world. Yeah. Like you just stopped working because you didn't like what you were doing and then you retire. And it's like, you know, I kind of didn't like what I was doing anymore. So I'm, I still have time to shift, you know, you know, I can live out that career as long as I can. So. That's exciting. Yeah. Right. So you get to be the meaning maker of this. And that's what I really encourage you to do, that that you get to decide what this means. You define failure. You define success. You define worthy, unworthy. You define whether or not something's a valuable experience. Nobody defines that except for you. Yeah. But what you're really afraid of is your own evaluation of yourself. And that's the work. It's like, how can I go into this experience not being terrified of my own mind. And it's a practice. There's just some, my father wasn't, and I don't feel like my mother was like a super critical. It's one of those things where I've tried to be like, where's this criticism coming from? I don't know. I could talk to my therapist more about it. No, but you know what? I think this is so important. And and since everybody, listen up. Mm-hmm. Why have we gotten to the point where we think That if our mind is not producing perfect, wonderful, marvelous thoughts, that somehow we've got to go to a therapist and unravel how we've been screwed up. 
What about this just being the normal, like this is status quo human brain. This is just what your mind does. Your mind is a negativity bias for biological reasons and evolutionary reasons. This is what it does. Your mind is going to compare itself to its most proximal reference point, which means guess what? The more successful you get, guess what your reference group is? More successful. Do you know what that makes? It makes you feel like you're not accomplishing anything because your comparison group gets more elite as you get more elite. There's all this unbelievable, interesting research on this. This is the way your brain operates normally. So because your mind isn't going to give you these lovely, enthusiastic, self-confident, yay, happy thoughts, it it doesn't mean anything's going wrong. It's just like, that's just what a mind does. And in the same way that we know that we have to go to the gym to work out to stay fit and that's normal. The same thing is true with our mind. We actually have to manage our mind and actually direct our mind so that it stays fit too. Otherwise, like our mind left to its own devices is just like our body left to its own devices. That's so helpful. That's really like, I, I, I know on some of your other podcasts, you're talking about sort of that this is like the mind, and you said it earlier today, protecting me from risk. And it's not, <laughs> not what my mother used to say to me or anything like that. Right. Really, yeah, that's really helpful to reframe it that way. Yeah, because what I would like to avoid is you spending another year in therapy being like, let me find out why my mother did this to me. And I'm like, no, just go do the thing. Just be scared because that's what the human experience requires. And again, you know, what do you need to know? Look at kids. A child who's going to a new program, a new school, a new class, a new this, guess what? What are they? They're scared. Why? Because they've never done it before and they're not sure. They don't have confidence. And we're not sitting there going like, oh yeah, this is wrong. You shouldn't have these feelings. You should feel totally confident. Something's gone wrong. You got to go see a therapist. I don't know why you're so nervous about this AP class that you're taking. You should have totally awesome, confident thoughts. Like, no, a kid going into a new AP class, we're like, yeah, I totally understand why you're nervous about it. It's going to be hard really hard. Yeah. It's going to be really hard. And you've got the tools and the skills to do it. You're going to figure it out. It's going to, you're going to have nights where you're crying and you feel like you're failing and you're going to still work through it. So it's for whatever reasons, adult, we want to make our fear and our very normal fear about doing something new about how, you know, our mom wasn't supportive in the way that she was supposed <laughs> to be supportive. You're just being a normal human. Awesome. And the good news is everyone else is equally as insecure and scared and terrified. So welcome to humanity. I still have the ego. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone experiences this. By the way, if this is what it feels like to grow, right? You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel scared. And that should be the green flag. It should be, oh, I'm on the right track. I'm nervous sighted. I feel nervous. I feel a little nauseated. Like, okay, <laughs> that's a good sign. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited for you. I want lots of check-ins. And tell me yeah. how you're doing. No, I, I think I will definitely need some of that as we go along. But thank you so much. This was like really, really helpful. Awesome. It's so nice to connect with you. You too. You too. All right. Round of applause for Anne. That, by the way, it's really hard to put yourself in the hot seat. So I cannot thank you enough for your openness and vulnerability. You know, in life, we are continually confronted with the choice to self-protect or grow. And Anne is choosing growth, which means, of course, that she feels exposed, unsure, and deeply dreads that it won't work out. It's so normal. But in every step that Anne takes towards her goal of establishing a new career in her 50s, she defeats the inner naysayer who tells her that it's impossible or that she'll look foolish 
or that she'll quit and, you know, have to wear a scarlet D to announce to the world that she is, in fact, a dilettante. So shamey, <laughs> such a shamey word. I don't actually think originally that's the meaning of dilettante. I think dilettante, I'm fairly certain that it really just means to delight, to delight in the arts, music and painting. I think that we all probably need to be more dilettante-ish. <laughs> we need to be more of a dilettante and delight in the arts. But nonetheless, we all know what she means. Your naysayer, right? It's never going to go away. But each time you commit to your goal, in spite of that negative chatter, you shrink that inner adversary down in strength and size and expand your own sense of possibility. And really importantly, power. You feel empowered, right? You got that sense of agency. I can make things happen. So in honor of Anne, here is your lab work for the week. Over the next five days, I want you to be the fiercest advocate of your capacity to grow and change. What if for this one week, you commit to believing that there's no change or growth that isn't possible for you? Not a single one. All of the things that you want to change in your life, what if it was actually possible for you? You were totally capable of making that change. If you believed you could do it, would you ask for more support? Would you get more serious about setting boundaries, carving out time and prioritizing your change work? Would you talk about your goals differently, perhaps with more enthusiasm and less groaning? The biggest difference between people who make radical changes and people who don't is the belief that they can. That's it. So advocate for your ability to change and share your lab work findings with me at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or DM me on Instagram at Dr. Sasha Hines. I love hearing from all of you, really. So have a wonderful week. Believe that you have the power to make astounding changes because you really do. And it starts with putting the own up in grown up. For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.